Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from our guest speaker. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, thank you, Don, for the kind words, and uh, give some love to the worship band. Come on now, that's just good stuff. Yeah. Good morning, Gateway. Good morning. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. So today I'm going to speak on the title of Created to Contribute. Created to Contribute. And it's uh, based on my absolute unwavering belief that Every person in this room, every person, was created to fill a unique role in their work. That means that you are needed, you're tremendously valuable, and then that means that you must do it. You were created to fill a unique role, you are needed, you must do it. Simply put, there's somebody out there in this community, in this zip code, maybe on the other side of the world, maybe on the other side of the country, there's somebody out there who needs you to show up and be the best version of you. It's not about you. So in looking at today's message, I wanna make sure that you understand that this will be at times specifically about you, but it will always be about the people that God has put in your life and will put in your life. Created to contribute. The worldview, the secular worldview that Satan has absolutely promoted and continues to promote in so many different avenues of our lives is that, well, you're just here to work, to make a paycheck, to be able to take care of the bills, right? I work to provide, and if there's a little bit left over, maybe we make some memories. That's the secular worldview of work, right? Well, you got to get a job, right? Got to get a good job, hopefully get a good salary, good benefits, And it's become a message that the people of God have begun to accept. Many of you here today are just trying to make it through to Friday evening. I talked to many people after the first service, my friends that are even retired, who came up, few in tears, realizing that retirement, well, that's just a season, but you don't stop contributing Not at all, in fact, you shouldn't. So today I really wanna take on the secular worldview and I wanna encourage those of you that are in this situation and then I want to give you a framework to be able to encourage the maybe children in your lives, grandchildren in your lives, other family members who are just walking through life like zombies. Does anybody wonder why all those zombie shows are so popular? Anybody ever wonder about that? They're really popular because I think we can identify with it. That's us on Monday through Friday. You know, he's trying to make it through. But that's not what God has for us. Let's look at the biblical case of work first. And then we're gonna walk through some practical things for you to be able to say, wait a second, maybe for the first time in my life, I can see how I am uniquely made and can see how I can apply that to the world of work and maybe, maybe see breakthrough in your personal life. Here's why. I can tell you this. Having counseled people live on the air, having coached people individually, you show me a man or a woman who is unfulfilled, maybe they're bored, maybe they're miserable in their work, and we spend, the average American, 90,000 plus hours at work over our lifetime. So if you think about it, work, sleep, then everything else. You know this. It's a sobering thought. 
But I can tell you this, if you're not fulfilled in your work life, eventually you're gonna drag that stuff home with you and it's gonna affect your marriage, it's gonna affect your kids, it will affect everything that is going on in your personal life. So let's look at what the Bible says about work. We know, we know what the secular worldview is, oh, it's just something you gotta do, right? What does the Bible say? Let's start in the first book, Genesis chapter two, one through three. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all of the work of creating he had done. So our creator worked. In fact, he worked so hard in his omnipotence, he still felt like he needed a nap. Ever cross your mind? I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. Even God said, all right, I have created and created and created and created and created, and now I need to just rest. So we have the first model of working to create. He's still working. How many of you believe he's still working? Say yes. Come on, I'm a Baptist preacher's kid. I want more hearty response than that, all right? You'll have more energy at the buffet line after church today. He's still working, John 5, 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Psalm 145, four through six. One generation commends your works. The psalmist is talking about God's works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. Work, acts, deeds. God is still working in your life. He's ready to work in your work life. He created us to work. Genesis 2.15, this is really fun for me. You know, I, I grew up in the church, and so, you know, I, I've, I've just heard about every Bible story there is about 8 billion times. And it was many years later as I was doing my own Bible study that I, 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 I caught the significance of this, and I don't know why it escaped me, but Genesis 2.15, this is pre-fall. This is before sin. God has created the most perfect canvas that the world has ever seen, the Garden of Eden. And God looks down and says, we need to do more with this. I've created it. I want to see it continue to evolve and continue to create beauty. So he creates Adam. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me say it again, because if you don't hear anything else I say today, catch this. For we are God's handiwork created uniquely. I'm going to break that down for you in just moments. Handiwork created to do good works that God has prepared in advance. He is out in front of us, working, creating, moving, people we need to meet, people that we can connect with. How many believe that? Say amen. amen. Either you believe it or you don't. But if you believe it, you're going to have to act like it. He's gone out in advance of us. So why do we work? So our creator worked, he's still working, he created us to work, why do we work? First Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift, talent, 
that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Ecclesiastes 2.24, one of my favorite verses. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too I see is from the hand of God. Now, I can't help it. I'm a Baptist, so you know, I went to a lot of buffets after church growing up. And you know, I can't think of a better verse. This, this literally just says in Ecclesiastes, find satisfaction in your toil, go home and eat a big meal. Right? That's good. Find satisfaction in your toil. So how should we work? 2 Timothy 2.15, study. That means get qualified. That means keep learning. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, doctor, lawyer, teacher, accountant, electrician, plumber, do it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. Can I, I didn't plan to say this, but you know, sometimes this happens. Can I just tell you, he's a guy who, I have a nationally syndicated show and I'm out there on the front line trying to help people discover the work that they were created to do and then do it really well. Can I just tell you, I'm sick and tired uh, of the culture looking down their nose at trades. I'm sick and tired of it. Because can I just tell you something? We live in Nashville, Tennessee, and if my AC goes out in July and the dude shows up to fix it, who do you think is more important to my wife, that guy or me? There's tremendous importance in the trades. Well, I'm going to tell you something. In the early 70s, you can go look this up. I've, I've become friends with Mike Rowe, the dirty jobs guy. And so Mike told me this story. When Mike was in high school, okay, uh, he was sitting in his guidance counselor's office and he saw over, over the, uh, the back of his guidance counselor's head a poster on the wall. And it was a split screen kind of a deal and it showed, uh, it showed one guy uh, you know, in a diploma with his diploma and he had that dentine bing smile, you know what I'm talking about? And above him it said, work smart. And then on the other half of the poster was a dude with a giant wrench that could kill an elephant, you know? And he's in coveralls and grease all over his head and he's got this frown said, work smart over the gleaming diploma guy, not hard over the guy with the wrench. And I'm just giving you a little extra bonus content this morning. It has nothing to do with the scripture, but that's from the pit of hell. Did you hear what I said? I'm not being melodramatic. That message is, is from the pit of hell because that messaging was a marketing message that the federal government, state governments, and started to create this idea that the only way to success was through college. And I'm not knocking college, all right? But I'm just telling you, this, this notion, and it's created a culture to where we feel like we gotta send our kid to college or else we're embarrassed to talk about him. How many you know what I'm talking about? Say yes. Yeah. Come on. Yes. That's the message. And it's from the pit of hell. How do I know? Well, let's look at what David said in Psalm 139, 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being. Don't miss this. He's talking about my heart. You created me with a heart and a soul and a spirit. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I had a grandmother on my mom's side that when we would go to her house, she was always crocheting. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen those? She had these weird little instruments 
And she was just always doing this, and she could crochet a coaster or a blanket, feel like in no time flat. But she was taking two different threads, right? And she was knitting them together. And I love that David uses this analogy, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, he goes on to say, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. So I think there's three threads. I think there's three threads. And I discovered this in my own journey. There are three threads that make us unique and wonderful, as Scripture says. The three threads are, and if you're taking notes, this is really simple, follow along, talent. This is what I do best. These are obviously hard skills and then soft skills, which we call people skills. So some of you are very technically talented, maybe with your, your head and your hands, you know. I, 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 for one, have no talent in the area of math and science. In fact, uh, when I die, I told Stacey, give my brain to research, because I believe that half of my brain is completely dormant. You know, I, I just, terrible at math and science, never could do anything, and it was terrible, 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 terrible. I just don't have that gift. So we all have talents, things that we just naturally do, they come easy to us. Second thread is passion. Now this, now we're talking about heart. Passion, I love to think about it. I love to do it when I'm in the middle and I'm engaged in this task or this role. Time seems to stand still. Everything is working. All the pistons are firing. I lose track of time. How many of you in this room have experienced work like that? Raise your hand. Be honest. Ooh. Don, I was definitely supposed to be here today. We're going to help those of you that haven't experienced that. But that's just something, man, we love it. We look forward to it. Now, the third thread is what I call mission. So we have talent, what we do best, passion, what we love to do, and mission is the results that motivate us. This is, these are tied to our values. So all work creates results, yes? Come on, say with me. All work creates results, yes? yes? So I want to create results that matter to me. When I see these results, I stand back and I say, that's good. So this is a sense of mission. What is my mission? What results do I want to create? So the purpose for all of us is to do work where we spend the majority of our day using what we do best, talent, performing work that we love to do passion and producing results that matter deeply to us mission. That's purpose. How many of you have laid awake at some point in your life and wondered, what should I do with my life? Raise your hand. Should be everybody in the building. So if you haven't, raise your hand, raise your hand. Everybody's wondered that. You don't get the option. I know some of the teenagers are like, come on, man. I don't want to raise my hand. Everybody in the world will wonder that at some point. Do we have to teach anybody to wonder that? Do we teach that anywhere? We don't teach it. What's that coming from? Psalm 139, 13 and 14. You created my innermost being. The God of the universe put a heart in you and a soul in you. And because of that, you are made in his image. And so the fact that you wonder, what should I do with my life, is actually normal. And I'm afraid to say that throughout America's churches, we have people that are sitting in our seats. And I don't say this to judge you, I say this to liberate you. But we have people that are just walking through life, doing an okay job to get an okay paycheck, and we wonder why we aren't fulfilled. May I say to you that if you don't have the burden of doing excellent work that lights your soul up, you aren't doing what God wants you to do. It's scripture, it's not my opinion. And I'm deeply passionate about this because I see lives ruined. 
And this is the message of Satan. Oh, just get a good job or pursue something that, that, that everybody else says is a good thing to do or play the comparison game all the time. Well, this guy's making this much, so I got to go make this much so I can buy this car and all this crap. And here's the deal. That's why the average car payment in America is $700 a month. Because can I just tell you, we did the largest millionaire study that's ever been done, 10,000 plus net worth millionaires. Do you know what the third largest group of net worth millionaires in the United States is? Teachers. The median salary for teachers in the United States is $60,000. They're not making a lot of money and they're on the front lines. So if teachers can be net worth millionaires, what's going on there? Yes, there's discipline living on less than they make. I get that. But they love what they do. And they're not doing it in a very good environment right now. Satan is at work trying to distort the view of work. Let me tell you where it's at in education. Because it seems very simple and very innocent, but the reality is you all know it if you're parents or grandparents. I got three teenagers. I've been walking through this and it makes me go nuts. Our education system in America, K through 12, is broken. It is creating test takers, not pathfinders. How can you read scripture? How can you listen to what I'm reading here and, and, and think that the way we are educating kids is of God? And I'm not talking about the politics part. I'm just talking about the fact that we put this cultural pressure on kids by the time they reach the ninth grade. They're what, 14, 15 years of age? Their brain won't even develop. I think, I think women's brains finish developing at 23. They say dudes at 25. I'm not buying that. <laughs> and so we're putting all this pressure on kids to make a lifelong decision and it starts in the ninth grade. Every grade counts, every quiz counts, every extracurricular counts, everything counts. Why? We gotta get this good record, why? So we can get into a good college, why? So we can get a good degree, why? So we can get a good job, blah! <laughs> I talk to men and women every day that got good jobs and make good money, and they're miserable. Why are they miserable? Because they are not doing what they were created to do. You watch a master craftsman, and I love watching them. These dudes that make old furniture, or not old furniture, these old dudes, rather, that make furniture, and their hands are all gnarled up, and they just keep doing it. Why do they keep doing it? They got arthritis is taking over. Why do they keep doing it? And I've interviewed these people. And you know what they always tell me? I just love doing it. Let's go back to the example. They're good with their hands. They love building, creating, fixing. Why? For something useful, for something beautiful. It's not about status. The devil's gonna tell you it's about status. Your executive role or your title or how much money you make and all that stuff. And I'm a Dave Ramsey guy and I can just tell you this. You can make all the money in the world, but if you aren't showing up day in, day out, doing work, that you are good at, that you love, that produces results that matter to you, your soul is slowly slipping out of your body. And let me tell you the dangerous, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak directly to men today. Hey guys, let me tell you something. And this is not the cure-all, okay? But I'm gonna tell you something. If you aren't working on purpose, you will eventually be distracted. And we joke about midlife crisis, but I don't think it's funny. Because that's why men ruin their families financially by doing stupid things and not leading. It's why men cheat on their wives. It's why men get addicted. 
Let me tell you something. If you aren't fulfilled in your work, men, over time, the progression is my work doesn't matter to me, and then it eventually moves to I don't matter. Do you see that? My work doesn't matter to me, so my work must not matter. And then the lie from the pit of hell, I don't matter. And so what do we do? We go medicate. We try to distract, dull the pain. And the God of the universe, Psalm 139, 13, 14, you created my innermost being. Now, quick commercial. I'm not here to tell you to quit your job today. All right? I'm a Ramsey guy. I don't want you to quit your job until we have another job to replace it. But can I also talk to the retirees? I had so many come up to the book table at the end of the last service and I almost got choked up because it was one after one after one that said, you spoke to me today. Because I'm gonna tell you something, you're not done. Retirement is just a financial decision. It should not be a sentence for your life. You still have something good that you can do. You still can make a difference. There's this whole movement right now among young people called FIRE. It's on Reddit and TikTok and all this crap. And you ready for the, what, what they believe? They go, well, listen, I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be financially independent, retire early. That's what FIRE stands for. So they're working like 70-hour weeks. So they're working hard. And they're living on just nothing. And that's good, sure. But here's the deal. They're doing it because they want to be 35 and 40 years of age and never work again. Here's the problem. They're going to do that, and they're going to miss life. And then they're going to get to 35 or 40 and not work for about a month, and they're going to look up and go, what do I do now? That's because of the Holy Spirit tugging at their heart because the Creator wanted us to create. And friend, listen to me. If you aren't creating something good, you define good. If you aren't creating something good Monday through Friday, I'm telling you, you are susceptible to all kinds of spiritual uh, lies and things that the devil will tell you. And let me tell you something about this young generation. This school system is doing nothing to help them. We aren't showing them how they're uniquely and wonderfully made. And they're going to wander through life. And maybe, maybe I'll get to talk to some of them on the Ken Coleman show, but I want to get out in front of it. And this is why I want to preach to churches because churches, Christians, listen to me. God is waiting on you to step out. He's waiting on you to look inside and see these clues and be who you were created to be. How many of you remember, um, I think it was the third Indiana Jones movie? Sean Connery, he plays his dad. Say yes, if you know what I'm talking about, you older folks, okay, great. You young people, go check it out. There's probably a clip of this on YouTube. There's a scene in the movie, right? And, and Indy and his dad are running away from, these, uh, from, from this tribal group, you know, that's trying to kill him, right? And they're shooting fiery darts at him. And so they're running as fast as they can to get away. And they come to a point where they come and they, they get up to this big giant, you know, cavern. And it's just, you can see a little rock tumbles down and the movie makers make it very clear to us that it is infinity and beyond down there, certain death. So we have certain death in front of us and certain death behind us. And uh, if, if I can remember, it, it just came to me just now, but there's a, I think the Indy's dad, Sean Connery, pulls up in a little book. And it's like a prophecy or some type of little thing. And he says, basically, to Indy, if you step out, the stone will appear. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's really bad graphics. And all you kids would be like, those graphics are so bad. But the point is, is Indy does what we think he's going to do. Because there's certain death here and they're closing in on him. So finally, he, goes, he chooses to believe. 
Yeah, somebody said, wow, somebody's paying attention down here. I like it. And so Indy puts his foot out like this, you know, and he kind of hovers and the stone appears. And there comes a moment where he has to now place his foot on the stone. And he does. And he looks at his dad like, hey, this is working. And then the next step's a little quicker and the next step is quicker. And then finally they run and they get across there and the stone appears. Can I just tell you that silly little movie scene is really what God is saying to us. And in the book of Hebrews, the verse says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I preach this message today to say that some of you are having breakdowns at work. Some of you are just dealing and fighting boredom. Some of you've got marriage problems because the dudes, you haven't felt the fire, the good fire. You haven't driven to work on a Monday and gotten excited about what you're doing and the impact it's having and what it can allow you to do in so long. And you're dragging that stuff home with you. Young people, some of you that are going into college or into college, you've got the biggest pressure decision in front of you and you don't know which way to go and what to do. Can I just tell you that if you come back to this and say, okay, God, you created me beautifully, wonderfully, and I am unique and my greatness is all about my uniqueness. See, we live in a culture where social media, it's all about how many likes and, and how many followers and, and all this kind of stuff. And everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to be famous. And hey, we parents, let me just dump some more cultural crap that, that Satan's just put on us, okay? Hey, parents, we've gotten to a place where we're more worried about helping our kids feel good instead of teaching them how to be good. Oh, I know, I'm stepping on toes. That's why parents are driving teachers crazy when their kid doesn't get a good grade, they didn't do the work. This is a result of everybody getting a trophy, everybody wants to feel good, and we're working on feelings instead of facts. And the facts are that we will feel good when we run the race that God has before us. There's an older movie, since I'm talking about old movies. Don, I'm afraid I've reached that point in my life where I'm middle-aged. I don't feel middle-aged, but I am. And now I'm doing old movie references where half the audience doesn't know what it is. There's a great movie called Chariots of Fire, greatest soundtrack in the history of the world, by the way. And it's a great movie. It's based on the real life of an English missionary named Eric Little. And Eric and his sister uh, were called to serve in China as full-time missionaries. Well, the backstory, this is all a true story. He was a terrific runner. And so he gets asked to run for the British Olympic team. And uh, so he decides to do it. And there's a scene in the movie that the director captures, and it's so beautiful. The moment comes where he has to tell his sister who she's just, she's like, gung-ho, let's go to China. Eric, what are you doing messing around with all this running stuff? And so there's a scene where he looks at her and he has to tell her. And as soon as he tells her that he's going to do it, she's crestfallen and she's upset and she's frustrated. And he says to her, and I'm paraphrasing, sister, yes, we are called to go to China and be missionaries and we will go. But then he says this, and I get goosebumps when I talk about it. He says, but when I run, he says, I'm good at running, I'm fast. No, he says this, he says, God made me fast. He says, God made me fast. And then he says, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And if you've seen the movie clips, when he's running, he throws his head back and he kind of looks spastic, you know, he doesn't look like a great runner, but he's just like, and the directors have a little bit of Hollywood fun with that. But do you catch that? When I run, I feel his pleasure. Whew. 
Mm. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for my kids. Just be who God created you to be. And that means in our work life. Because as Don said earlier, we are to be ministers and we are ministers and our full-time service is in fact to be a good worker. There's my friend right there. We had dinner last night and she said to me, she said, I work for a company. I love my job and we do good, but they do some things politically and socially that I don't agree with. And, and, and she was expressing to me, you know, this tension that is real. And how do I, how do I be a witness in the office? And I said, be salt and be light. But be salt by doing really good work, the work that she's created to do. Keep advancing. Stay in that sweet spot. Crush it. Deliver world-class results because that delivers credibility. And then love people like Jesus would love them. And be there for them. Just a little side note here. In the few moments I have left, I talk to leaders all the time. Can I tell you why we've had 50-plus million people leave their jobs over the last 13 months? called the great resignation, you nailed it, say it loud. Terrible bosses. Terrible bosses, horrible leadership. If you are a leader of men and women, can I just appeal to you really quick? This is extra bonus content. <laughs> love your people. They're leaving you because they don't feel loved. Now some need to leave, right? You can love them and still go, go in Jesus' name. But the world has changed since the pandemic. And I'm gonna tell you this, people want to be seen and they want to be loved. So there's a little extra leadership commercial. If you don't know how to lead, you're a new leader, or you're looking at approaching, just love on them. Love them. You'll learn how to lead. When I run, I feel his pleasure. So I don't know who I'm talking to today. I don't know what's going on, but none of it would surprise me. I'm here to tell you, if you are not feeling the weight, good weight, the weight that we parents feel to provide for our kids, if you aren't feeling the weight of your work, I don't believe you're fully where God wants you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God is waiting like Indiana Jones. He's waiting for us to step out. And as, he, as we step out, what does God do? He steps in. My story would blow your mind. I, my first live broadcast, I'm 33 years of age, never done any broadcasting, and I just started walking forward. First broadcast I ever did was a, a high school football game on the internet. Two people were listening, the kid next to me and my wife, because she's a really good lady. I've done awful broadcasts. I've been told that I didn't have the talent to make it in the top 10 market. I've been there, I've done it, I've looked at the impossible and I've had to face fear of failure, fear of what other people will think, fear of rejection. I've had to face doubt that I was too old to do it. I've had to face doubt that anybody would give me a shot. I've had to face doubt that I didn't have what it took. So don't gripe at me this morning. But let me tell you, if I did anything right, is that I believed that I had the talent to do it. I believed that I truly loved communicating and broadcasting. And I believed that I could do broadcasting, not for sports broadcasting or political broadcasting, but broadcast to bring hope and transformation and how in the world I ended up with Dave Ramsey is only because of God's hand. 
I stepped out, God stepped in, and I get to do what I was created to do. And this whole notion that if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life, that's a bunch of crap, let me set you free. Young people, if you ever hear that, just go, oh, this guy once told me, that's crap, it is crap. Because if you do what you love, you'll work harder than everybody else. If you do what you love, you'll work better than everybody else. And remember, this is not about the paycheck. This is about our heavenly father who designed us before we were born and is ahead of us creating a path. No matter what God, no matter what the devil throws at us in our life, and he's going to throw relationship roadblocks. He's going to throw financial roadblocks. He's going to throw health roadblocks, emotional roadblocks. I've walked through all of those. Let me tell you something. God's on the other side. And it is the process that is preparing us to fulfill our promise. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. So here's my final thought. I'm here today to preach about work, but not from the context of a paycheck but from the context that you are fulfilling the will of God for your life if you are doing the work that God created you uniquely to do. Let's pray.